I feel lots of horrible things. Envy isn't one of them because I don't think that there's a finite amount of success in the world. So I don't believe that if somebody else has something, it's right, not, not taking it away from you. It. Yeah. Yeah. So that, so, but, but, but that is not to say that I am not power hungry, obsessed with being fuckable, you know, all of the things that we all are. Prepare your ears, humans. Happy, sad, confused begins now. I'm Josh Horowitz. Today on Happy, Sad, Confused, it's Emerald Fennell. In my opinion, she's one of the most exciting filmmakers working today. She knocked me out with Promising Young Woman, which earned her a well-deserved Oscar. She is back with the audacious, the hypnotic, the sexy, I don't even know if there are enough adjectives for this one. Saltburn is the movie. Seek this one out. It will rock your world. Here she is, the one and only Emerald Fennell. Hello. Hello. <laughs> I sort of thought maybe I should clap myself. Yeah, no, please. Feel free. Sort of silent. If you're happy with any of your answers as you go, feel free to clap. <laughs> Just a little applause machine. I love happy. Uh, That's how I feel all the time. Isn't it? We're all a blend of that. And I, I know you're feeling that because I saw you the other day and they're, uh, they're running you for a good cause. We're spreading the good word of salt burn. How, what's on the caffeinated coherent meter today, Emerald? How are you doing? I am so caffeinated. <laughs> I'm so caffeinated that at this stage, I may as well be nailing kind of a gram of Coke a day. I mean, I, I think there comes a point when you've had 38 coffees where really it's just it's just a problem. But no, I'm fine. You know, luckily, I really love talking about this film. Um, and so and I really, really love the cast. And 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 so it's yeah, I'm always happy to talk about it. So let's, uh, I, I want to give a little context because we've never had kind of the deep dive conversation. And I was such a fan of Promising Young Woman and and, and much of your earlier work. Um, I'm curious, like where you sit today, is this kind of where you were aiming to be? Was the Has the goal been for a while to be a writer director crafting these personal, very powerful kind of stories for the big screen? I mean, absolutely. I don't think I could have dreamed it would have been I, I don't think I could have dreamed it would have got me here, like in a hotel in front of a green screen in New York, pretending no. to be, you know, it's like so, kind of like- That's real, Emerald, don't, you ruin the illusion. Sorry. That's her Sorry. That's her home. I, I uh, never thought it would get me to to hear this very real <laughs> sitting room that I'm absolutely sitting in. <laughs> what I mean to say is that to me, to have a green screen is oh, beyond- That's beyond the goal. goals. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I, I've made it. <laughs> that's a huge deal for me. Right. Um, and I think, you know, just just ev the, everything that happened with Promising a Woman, you know, was just beyond beyond all of our wildest dreams while we were making it. So um, I feel, yeah, I, I just feel kind of amazed constantly, honestly, that it's it's been so, yeah, it's been so amazing. It was a it was a strange ride, needless to say, for Promising Young Woman. I, I was lucky enough to be at at the Sundance uh, screening, the premiere of it. I spoke to your cast there, um, and then of course this was January 2020. If you do the math, some things occurred pretty soon thereafter. Um, yeah. Did you feel like you had look? You obviously reaped the rewards. I mean, Carrie got the nomination. She almost took it, took home the Oscar. You took home an Oscar. But I would imagine, I don't know. You probably didn't get to celebrate in a full way with that cast, we were all siloed off. Did it feel that way at the time? Did it feel a little strange? I think, well, I had no frame of reference. It was yeah. my first movie. Um, I just had a baby. So, you know, I had a little, uh, I, I had a kid and, and I was pregnant as well by the time 
um, by the time it all sort of started kicking off and it was lockdown. So it was just everything about the circumstances were completely unprecedented and my own life had, you know, was changing in, in every kind of conceivable way. And so I suppose then I, I didn't really, um, yeah, I had no way of knowing what was strange and what was normal. And, you know, it was, it was all upside down. So in many ways, I'm, I'm glad that it was the way that it was, because it meant that um, now I'm doing this, now I'm doing this sort of publicity tour. And this obviously is also peculiar because normally the actors would be doing right. all the stuff that I'm doing, which would have been like vastly my preference because <laughs> you know you don't really want to center yourself as a filmmaker like this it's not kind of natural or useful in lots of ways but I think that I'm you know I I was glad that I I was able to kind of carry on with my life yeah I just I wrote and um the cast who was so amazing you know really helped and but it meant I could sort of get on with the thing that I wanted to make next, which was Saltburn. Have you stayed in touch? I'm curious. With I know you're obviously in touch with Carrie. She's amazing in this film. Bo Burnham is an enigma to me. I did. A, I did. He, he he actually did my podcast for Promising Young Woman, and it was like one of the only bits, like extended conversations he had. And then he disappeared. And then he came out with his album, right? His comedy album. Um, has he retired from acting? He's like Daniel Day Lewis. Like what happened to him? I well look it's not he is he's an immensely private person and so I right. I I sh dent and would never um yeah would never kind of want to break his trust by talking about him but he is no I mean he's absolutely one of my favorite people he is wonderful deeply wonderful um you know and uh yeah yeah I think you know like a lot of great artists He's just, you know, he just wants to concentrate on making and making right. things. Right. And he's so good that he can. And I'm very excited for whatever he does next. Before we get to Saltburn, a couple of other things on Promising Young Woman. Did did the, your use of Stars Are Blind bring you closer to Paris Hilton? Have you broken bread with her? Have you bonded in a real way? We have not broken bread, but we okay. have met a few times. I love her. I'm always and have always been from the very beginning inspired by her fortitude and her grace and her ability to find humor in lots of circumstances and lots of um, treatment that was, you know, revoltingly misogynistic and gross. And I think she's an incredibly clever person and an interesting person and and so it was really it was really wonderful as well that people kind of acknowledged that stars are blind is a fucking brilliant song yeah because that's why it's in there it's in there because it's like one of the greats and and i and i and i'm so glad that it, i'm so glad that it very occasionally means that people play it when I go somewhere and it means I can listen to it. Like, right, you it. took you took the irony out of it. I feel like it had like quotation yeah. marks around it. And now it's kind of like, I, oh no, we can just acknowledge it's actually a really cool, fun song. Totally. And also, do you know what? I don't like irony in general. Yeah. I think it's a real pop out and it's a really, um, it's a very inhibiting thing for, for, for making stuff actually. Like I, I don't think irony is helpful because it's a lie. 
you know, it's double talk. You're kind of, you're pussyfooting. And, and again, that's the thing for me that I, you know, try as much as I can do is say like, you know, we do not have to, things do not have to be all done in the same way. Right. You can be earnest. You can earnestly love things. You can be unsubtle. You can be overwrought. You can be melodramatic and gothic. You can be all those things. There is space in the world for, for art is too much of a like absolutely wanky phrase, but there's, but there's space in the world for things to be expressed in all manner of different ways. And I think we're still very, um, we're still, you know, very preoccupied with a certain mode and method of storytelling. Um, and and so I, I, yeah, I try as much as I can to just make things that feel like, I don't know, the sort of things that I respond to and responded to when I was younger and, and hope that that finds its sort of connection. There is like a there's this like kind of ruthless honesty in these two two films, like the messiness of of desire, of wanting, of love, of lust, and it's like it's it it we're all you know a lot of us, most of us, sadly for whatever reason, feel shame about these these feelings when in fact literally every human being feels what you experience, what the characters experience in Saltburn. But isn't shame part of the fun? Isn't right. shame makes it more a necessary part of why something is sexy? Right. Because that's without... the other thing too, right? Is right. that you can't have one without the other. Right. Really, not when it gets super, super, you know, the thing that is transgressive, the threshold being crossed, is often what makes something so powerful. And that is really what the gothic is about. It is about revulsion and desire colliding it's about it is about giving yourself over to something that frightens you and so it's interesting like actually in some ways it's why watching this in a room full of people is so important because you don't really have that sense of you, you don't have the sense of kind of potent arousal and shame and confusion and revulsion on your own right you know because you may as well go on you know we're all doing all sorts of things on our own that are absolutely shocking. <laughs> I mean, not me, because my life's incredibly no. boring, but not, not in that, not in that room. You, you wouldn't know. Oh, not in this room. <laughs> yeah. You know what's behind the green screen. It's actually a dungeon. It's my, it's my own. Um, it's no. And so like, that's the, that's the thing for me is that all of that stuff is good. It's good to be pushing always. And, and that's why I think, you know, we look at period dramas as, as romances, increasingly all of the romantic fiction all the romantic movies and tv is set in the past and right. i think that's because there were so many more boundaries and that we understand when those boundaries are, are kind of pushed right you understand that if a that if a glance lingers too long in regency england that everyone's gonna fuck and it's a disaster and it might ruin a woman's life <laughs> not a man's of course it'll be fine but no, no. yeah but now you know we are all of us kind of you know, embracing the kink, embracing the things that interest us and stuff. And it and it's and it's more um like wonderfully, it's it's kind of um yeah, everyone's more comfortable with it. But in terms of dramatic narratives, yeah, you're looking to find the thing that gets inside you in a way that's sort of truly sexy and disturbing. What were those transgressive films for you as a young person? 
What were the ones that kind oh, of man. shook your worldview? Mm-hmm. Well, mine were the ones that now I recognize are like very troubling um, because they were sort of, you know, something like The Crush with Alicia Silverstone and Carrie sure. Elwes, right. where she's like a 14-year-old girl. And of yeah. course, at the time, I was like 10. So she seemed really old. And now I'm Carrie Elwes's age from the film. And I'm like, well, this is not a good film at all. I shouldn't have shaped my entire my entire personality <laughs> on this film. Um, you know, there was The Crush. There were things like uh, Secretary, which I was obsessed with, you know, Cruel Intentions, The Dreamers, Stealing Beauty. Um, you know, did, did, I think... Did, and then did, also, did Bram Stoker's you know, Dracula feel like that for you? I'm curious. Oh, totally. I mean, Bram Stoker's Dracula is just one of my all-time favorite favorites i mean that that movie is insanely good also shout out to dracula dead and love it loving it the spoof <laughs> that came. also terrific yeah. um in a different way but also like it was also the feeling of of having a crush on the characters you weren't supposed to have a crush on like wanting to know what jafar's deal was <laughs> sure. you know sure. thinking like scars scars kind of interesting i bet right. i could change it <laughs> i do yeah it's, yeah it's not yeah. just the thing of, it's not just that thing of like sexy movies but it's the way that you as a young person as a person as a human in general respond to respond to things you're, you're told that you should like this lovely golden prince or princess or whatever but you're like but who's that horrible like little thing the gnome in the corner i want that one very little <laughs> yeah exactly that little sort of goblin i'm like mm. well yeah i heard Tell you me. i was telling you I, I loved your conversation with uh brett goldstein a couple years back and i think you professed <laughs> your love for uh buscemi in in armageddon that tells you uh, all you need to know uh, you didn't go for affleck absolutely. oh no no it was buscemi i mean buscemi and everything forever obsessed right. Obsessed. I mean, there's certain roles. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, Billy Madison, him putting his lipstick on to ELO's telephone line, and Billy Madison is is <laughs> scorched in my memory. This one will be scorched in many a young person's memory. I think. How fully formed did Saltburn? come does it does it start with character an image just a mash of ideas it starts with a character which usually is accompanied by an image and so and it's so i suppose it's a bit spoilery the one that i the the first thing that came to me but 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 really it was oliver and it was and it was oliver and it was a and it was a young man kind of insisting and it was like the first moment of the film first breath of the film is i wasn't in love with him and, you know, my feeling was just if you start a conversation like that, you know, you're immediately announcing yourself as somebody who's, you know, Very either much. lying to us. <laughs> yeah. yeah, lying to us or lying to themselves. And so that's a kind of interesting. And I suppose that early on I, I realised it was part of that, yeah, British country house sort of gothic tradition. Just because of the nature of the way he was talking, he was talking to, to me. It felt like a first person narrative. And then what happens is, you know, I just live in the world. I live with him and I live in the world for a long, long time. So I, you know, I went to Saltburn and I spent years there just kind of with all the characters and, you know, and it it, it becomes, 
it's a sort of it's it's both kind of narratively in character, but it's also kind of texture as well. It's kind of like what do the rooms feel like? Are they hot? Are they cold? Do they smell? Do they? What does the grass feel like? It's all that kind of sensory. It's like sensory as well. If you're writing in your head, which I do, it can be as like sen- sensory as it is. It is like intellectual, sure. I guess. You're kind of feeling things for, very much from a sort of physical and emotional point of view, which is really how I like to start anything and then over the years it becomes it's a bit like and I say this as a person who really does not like immersive theatre I respect it and god bless everyone doing it but I find it truly excruciating um but for me that is kind of what it is it's like I'm I'm there and it's only when I've seen been in every room a thousand times that I feel like every conversation every version of every conversation has happened Right. And it's not changing. It sort of ceases to change for a long time. And then I know, okay, it's ready to, I can write it down now. And for, for the uninitiated, I do want to give some a little context. So Oliver, played by the great Barry Keoghan, the young man in Oxford, who, yes, becomes, we don't really know what the desire is exactly, but there is a desire around Felix, played by Jacob Elordi, and um, goes to his estate and kind of becomes enmeshed in this very unique family. And um, wackiness ensues. That's probably not the right <laughs> wackiness. Do you know what? When I I had an interview, was that your while, elevator pitch? Was that it? I had truly. I had a um, a Q and A. <laughs> I did a Q and A after a screening of the movie a few weeks ago, and the the girl who was interviewing me said, um, "Well, you're a wacky gal." <laughs> I was like, "Cool, okay." I mean, sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay i mean yeah it's but it's just it's it's like i think i hope it's it's a film about like how all of us feel which is that you go to college or you know you go to a new place and you have this opportunity to like you think like you're going to be the sexiest you're going your life's going to begin you're going to finally be the person you want to be and then you get to that place and you realize like oh no you're just another dork right like and and it's about how we yeah and he and oliver sees this 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 boy Felix, and then the group, his group of friends too, and he's just like the center of the universe. He's beautiful, and he has everything. And and Oliver, you know, at first has disdain for him, and then of course they they their world, worlds collide, and he can't help but like immediately fall for his charms. And then you know they become friends, and it kind of carries on from there. But I think we all know what that feels like to want to be cool to want to be unique and special and sexy and all of those things like it's in that way it's I think it's a very like relatable movie 100% does does that feeling which is very much tied I think especially to the ages we're seeing these characters in but it also never does go away like do you feel that look you have an Oscar and a prosperous career a family do you feel desire and envy is it I mean it's not cool to say that but I think we all feel it (laughs) It's not, do you know what? It's really interesting because I do try to be honest about these things. I don't feel envy. It's not one of, I feel lots of horrible things. Envy isn't one of them because I don't think that there's a finite amount of success in the world. So I don't believe that if somebody else has something, it's right, not, not taking it away from you. It. Yeah. Yeah. So that, so, but, but, but that is not to say that I am not um, power hungry, obsessed with being fuckable. You know, all of the things that we all are, right? Right. Of course, yeah. of course you want 
there's no like there is no human on earth who is telling the truth who says they don't want people to think they're funny and cool and clever and sexy and right. whatever like that's just all of us like is there anyone who goes into a room hoping that people will think they're boring <laughs> and ugly and stupid like what a no. glorious way to be though not to have any expectations or hopes like just be like i'm fine oh like, i i don't know what that feels like yeah no. i have no i am not i have no center <laughs> <laughs> It only comes from outside. I'm just an amorphous blob. I don't have a uh, soul. <laughs> hey, that's why. That's why we're connecting today. Um, how, how much did you did you resent or love your name growing up? Because you can't be a boring Emerald Fennell with a name like that. You have to be an interesting person. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that I'm interesting. Actually, I don't. Um, I think that it's well. Look, I should first say that I love my parents deeply, and I and I love my name. And I think it's all the things perhaps that I am, which is unironic and unsubtle and kind of slightly over the top. Um, I, well, firstly, my friends all call me Emmy or M. So it's sort of, it's it sort of, that, that was, that's always been the case. But like, um, the thing that I suppose I minded a bit when I was a teenager was it, it made me very identifiable. So when I disgraced myself at some party or other, which was I inevitably did, hard to pin. On that other emerald, to, yeah. Hard to pin on someone else, you know, right. your various disgraces. <laughs> but um, I, I mean, look, I love it. It's my. It's not. It's part of my. It's it's part of who you are, isn't it? And and it's yeah. and I I love it. And I and I, I, I suppose it was only really that I became a bit older that I realised, you know. And it's not just, you know, it's just not, it's not, it's the way we all are. It's suddenly the the realization that the way that we think, the way that we um, identify ourselves is very different to how the world connects with you. You know, so that's, so you're kind of, you have to, you know, try as much as you can to just be comfortable with that. Like I kind of had, I realized like a while ago, like I have, I just have no control over the kind of assumptions that people make. Right. Um, and so you kind of have to like slightly let it go. You also have one of my favorite IMDb trivia um, notations I've seen in some time that I don't know if it's true or not, but it you says know. here uh, when she was seven, she told her parents when she grew up, she wanted to write stories about murder and to live in America. Yeah. <laughs> I have a video. I have a video of it. My mom sent it to me the night before, the night before I started making promising a woman. She sent me a video and we didn't have a camera. So she must've borrowed it off. It was like, it was, it was on my, I think seventh or eighth birthday. She was planning on doing birthday interviews with me and my sister every year. And then, you know, like life happened. So it was just this one and it's just me. Yeah. And I just said, she said, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I said, I want to, well, actually I said, I want to be an actress and live in America. And I want to write stories about murder. I mean, Mission accomplished. My, my, yeah, my husband was like, oof. <laughs> the psychotic, single-minded pursuit was quite intense. And I, yeah. it, it was, I don't know why. I don't know why even at that age I was, I was obsessed with murder and sex. Not that I even understood what it was, but I right. was aware of something troubling 
I was always kind of interested in it, trying to kind of glean as much as I could about it because I knew it was sort of scary, but kind of interesting. So, so it, it I was going to say, it must have brought you tremendous joy to jump into something like Killing Eve, um, which brings a lot of those loves together. Totally, yeah. I mean, it was really fun. I mean, that was, I mean, that was very, very, very grueling, though. I mean, it was incredible, but it was... When I started on Killing Eve, I was just in the writer's room and, and it hadn't come out yet. And Phoebe was making Fleabag. So she, the plan had always been that she would she would do the first season and then she was going off to do Fleabag too. Um, and so and so uh, when we started, it, it wasn't, it hadn't come out yet. So nobody knew that it would be like the hugest thing ever. Um, and then because it was so huge, the studio pushed it forward or brought it for I never know whether it's pushed back or pull forward but basically we had like suddenly two months less time got it and uh because it was Britain it was just it, I I think it was just it just caught everyone off guard and so we ended up having very little time so I think at one point I was like I was right I think I was working in the middle of that series I was I was working kind of 20 hours a day just to just to cover the because you don't have you know it was and so the thing that I remember most, I'm so proud of it and I love it. And I love that series and I love that show and I love everyone who worked on it. Um, but the thing I remember was was literally like crouching over a bin, eating pizza out of the trash because I had no time to like get food and there was no food. <laughs> I was Glamorous, like- <laughs> yeah. Hottest show on TV oh, and there she's, she's in the corner. Woman. She's a sexy woman of the world, taking Hollywood by storm, crouched over a bin, <laughs> eating trash pizza. So that so it was kind of, but it was incredible. It was incredible, and also it was the first time, like, you know, it was I I was promoted to the kind of showrunner of that, which was right. like beyond my wildest dreams, but also like fucking hell, a rude awakening on how to like, you know, get like, le you know, learning on the job. But you know, I remember the first day of shooting, they shut down the the Gare de l'Est, the big train station in Paris, you know, because it's that it was that opening scene of the second series, or kind of one of the opening scenes of of Eve. Uh, remembering she's got a knife in her pocket and she's about to go through um security um and i just remember thinking like oh my god i can't believe i can't believe this is real like i cannot believe this has happened it was amazing i, I i've been lucky enough to get to know jody comer amazing over the years who is just like can do anything pretty much oh, on the planet oh. i'm i'm sure you saw prima fasci the show i mean she's just unbelievable um <laughs> insanely talented did you she was pretty frank with me like she you know the divisive ending and i know you had left killing eve by then but did you have a perspective on how they wrapped it up and villanelle's fate do you know what i actually never would because i think that um i know how hard everyone worked on that show i know how difficult a job it was for every for everyone and so I would, I'm just so impressed by everyone who worked on that show. Um, and, you know, and I, I think, and I, and I have nothing but like love and respect for all of no. them. You know, you know, the yeah. degree of difficulty. I get it. Totally. Yeah. Right? I really yeah. do know the degree of difficulty. And so I think, yeah. So I think they did a great job. I haven't heard for a while. It was on the Promising Young Woman train that uh, Zatanna came up for you. Did you, yeah. did, you did you write the script? Is it still out there with the new regime at, at DC? Is it still potentially no. happening? 
no, it's not happening. It was, you know what? I loved, I loved, I, I met. So this was all before Promising Young Women, actually. So that, so this was something I was working before Promising Young Women. And it was when J.J. Abrams um, was had just, I think, just arrived at, at um, Warner Brothers and was going to, like, reboot the dark universe. Right. And they were going to take, you know, and they were going to kind of make this new kind of, like, dark sort of villain villain universe or sort of hero villain universe. Mm-hmm. And I just thought he was the coolest Um his team a Bad Robot, Hannah, his his producer, Bad Robot, so, was so cool and so interesting. And because I love genre of all kinds, you know, so much of Promising Woman and, and Salt Bernard, like, you know, prodding at a specific genre that, that right. I'm definitely interested in, like, oh, okay, I don't know a huge amount about the superhero genre. It's not a, a genre that I, I naturally gravitate towards. So I was like, okay, well, I'd love to know, like, how like how does how do how does one make a movie like that for people like me who maybe don't know so much and wouldn't necessarily buy a ticket the first time around so it's sort of that kind of thing i'm like okay this is interesting and zatanna is just a really really cool character um and yeah but i think i think it just like everything i i did write it it was it was complicated because I think, you know, the regime, like the things, cha- you know, it's all the, yeah. it's the classic studio stuff. Yeah. It's classic studio stuff. JJ's incredible. His team are incredible. And I think it just, um, I wrote in the end, I think a script that is um, reasonably demented. I would, I would expect nothing less. Way. I would. In a good yeah, way, of I, course. Think. I think. It yeah. would have been like kind of, but in the end, it, I think the whole universe got kind of, you know, right. was changed. And so, but you know, that's fine. I love writing. I love writing. I love working with people. So it was kind of really fun to do in the end. Um whether whether or not it would have been like remotely makeable. <laughs> that's not your job. Your job is just to go batshit crazy and write those stories well, that's that the works thing, for you. I was only- I was only ever slated to write it. So, right. you know, I, it was Someone not else's my problem. Yeah. It'd be like hey, this $500 billion movie with like this 28 minute sex scene in the sky. <laughs> that wasn't, that's not real. That's not real. <laughs> and, 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 and was Nemesis ever a real thing? Mark Miller said that you were, you had written a, like a draft or something on his Nemesis. I did. No, no. I mean, Nemesis was, was absolutely brilliant, but I did, um, no, I just did a, I, I just did a couple of weeks on, on that one. That was a kind of, um, that was, I mean, it's, it's brilliant. I loved it, but it's kind of a, um, yeah, it was, I was, I did some work on somebody else's script for them for the studio and, yeah, but I but I did. I mean, I, not to say that I didn't love it. I just don't like to take credit for something that I haven't yeah. really been instrumental in when somebody so, else is my work. I mean, you you do have look only two feature films in, but you have like a very specific path and voice that you are, have already established. And I would imagine. I mean, you tell me, like, is this the path to to continue on for you? Because you're probably getting very interesting, you know, temptations of those kind of movies we just talked about the comic book things and the big the big scale things but like i would imagine you're in a place where you could do the you know 20 to 40 million dollar like drama because your name is now becoming a little bit of a brand and i mean that in a positive way not a a crappy you know <laughs> crappy I will one be coming out with my brand my my personal brand of tampons shortly um <laughs> finally it's an finally, untapped market in the celebrity yeah 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 um but yeah, philosophy-wise, in terms of crafting the career forward, like, are you kind of 
very single-minded on the kind of films you want to make in the next five, 10 years? Yes. Yeah. I, I can't, what I've realized now is I, I can't, uh, I can, I'm, I'm always happy to kind of like do a pass for, for somebody that I love or a studio for things. And that's always really fun. Um, but in terms of my own things, like scripts that are mine, um, then I, then I do those to write and direct and I, and I, what I do, what I will do go, you know, as long as people let me is I, and I'll do after this is go away, write the thing I want to write. Nobody ever knows what it is. That was the case with Saltburn. Nobody knew what it was and nobody had any idea until I, you know, I, I sent it to my agents and managers when it was finished. So they get, so they have the experience as close as yeah as close to watching the movie is which is right. like you can really see if it works or not I think if you do it that way and also I like the pleasure of that you know there's a huge amount of pleasure to me about the kind of it being your own thing in secret in private that any motivation that you have is purely it's not financial or you know you don't have anyone sitting over you it's just you and what you want to write about and what you think is interesting and complicated and the thing that you want to get out of your system you know and then what and then it gives you so much freedom because you can say what I said with Saltburn which was you know this is it this is the thing I want to make next if anyone else wants to make it with me I'm so happy if nobody does great I'll go away and write something else right and it's it's wonderful and it's and I and I I don't think I can work any other way um I don't I, I can't do the thing I can't do this traditional studio mode. I can't pitch an idea and then pitch an outline and then write 10 outlines and then do six drafts. I can't do it. It's it's killer. It's killer. Yeah. And there are some people who love that. I just think you end up with, you just end up with something that- Well, it's compromised. A, it's diluted. It's just- well, it's, it, What it is is streamlined in a way that I find it's not knotty. You, you get everything ironed out quite quickly and and so by by the time you even come to shooting the stuff that's complicated that 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 is kind of um interesting kind of has to go and that I don't know so so yeah so I'll just do that and I and I think I like having a reasonable budget like right. a like I like having a lower end budget because then you're all working really hard I like the the constraint I like the boundaries of having not the idea of being able to reshoot endlessly the idea of having endless money and time makes me just think it gets flaccid and flabby and you want something to be taught and also if it's a bit fucking messy fine right all of the films I love are messy all of the films from 35 years ago that we think of as being the masterpiece of their time have you know 20 minute stretches in the middle that are kind of dull Right. Or bits that really don't work, or or characters that are like eh. Every single one of those movies, and I think our relationship with film now is so, um, you know, we we are we tend to kind of treat things like death by a thousand cuts. We judge it by the thing we wanted to see, not the thing it is. And I think, like you know, so it's it's just trying to be determined to to make things that are. Yeah, they're not completely without any friction because right. then you just kind of slide out, don't you, of the cinema and you're like, eh, 
Well, it's no surprise you were proselytizing to me the other day. Bo is afraid. We, you know, oh, I love it so much. That is a movie. That is a movie. Who? I just, who are, yeah. I just want I, before before you have to run to your three hundred other conversations. Actors on your short list because you seem to gravitate towards. I mean, I love Barry. I know you're a big fan of Killing of the Sacred Deer. He's amazing in this one too, Barry Keoghan. Um, live Wire, who can just kind of do anything. <laughs> um, do you have a short list? I mean, do you write with actors in mind? I don't write with actors in mind, but I have a list of actors that I'm obsessed with. Um, at the moment, oh, I'd love to work with Josh O'Connor as a as a director. I think he's so, so special. I mean, Zendaya's kind of a remarkable force of nature, isn't she? Um, also, I'm obsessed with Skylar. He's in The Righteous Gemstones. Skylar Gis... Oh, I don't oh. actually know. I'm 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 rusty on okay. registration. He's amazing. He's in my favorite other film, uh, Vacation, 2015. Oh, the he's remake, the, the one with with Ed Helms. Yeah, yeah, got yeah. it. Okay, I'll look it up. Okay. Oh, I know he's he's a younger actor, right? Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. A younger actor. He yeah, was I know in, exactly. Um, he was in. He's been in loads of stuff. This is terrible, but like he, I watched. Um, I was watching something with him in last night again. Um, and he's in Licorice Pizza, and I was like, ooh, he's really good. He's one of those actors that's just like really, really good. Um, yeah. I mean, there are so many people. The list is like 50, 50 people long. All right, I'm going to end with this. In honor of Happy, Sad, Confused. You kind of just said a few, but an actor who makes you happy. You see them oh, on screen. Oh, God. Can I say Robert Mitchum? <laughs> sure. Sure. Little Cape Fear makes you just, makes you thrilled? It makes me so thrilled. Night of the Hunter, are you kidding? Oh, I told yeah. you. I, I mean, these okay. are the people I love. Got you pegged. Okay. Uh, movie that makes you sad. Melancholia. Never cried so much. Existential crisis. Had to lie on the floor for two hours. Beautiful. Loved it. Every second of it. Devastating. And finally, food that makes you confused. Raisins in salad. Truly just fuck off. I, yeah, yeah. I life ruining actually. Is it the sweetness? You don't want the sweet in your salad. You don't want to like sweetness. a. I don't want sweet in a salad, but I can deal with an apple. Sure, I'm a grown up, but my god, a raisin, a little wizened, wibbly wobbly. Right. No, 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 no. Okay. No. Not not coming out in the for the raisin lobby. She's got her tampons that she's going to be selling, but not the raisins. Thank you. Yeah. No. Yeah. What I will also, I'll have a raisin brand, which is just an empty box. <laughs> trying, trying to destroy the joy for us yeah. raisin lovers out there. Um, Emerald, this has been a pleasure. Congratulations on Saltburn. Everybody should check it out. As I told you the other day, uh, I love all your work. I'm obsessed with this one. I'll see it many more times. Two down, many more to go. Uh, and good luck staying, you know, healthy and sane through the madness. But it's all, again, all for a good cause. All for a good cause. Thank you so much. Lovely to see you. Good to see you. Enjoy your weird green sitting room. Uh, fake. Thank room. you. Yeah. I will. Bye. <laughs> and so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh. <laughs>